top five hotels in the entire city. That is true. I think there are three, if you're wondering. So, I get a return. <laughs> only one. Emily said she's the only one coming back. She's leaving me up there. So, no, we're 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 going to be exploring a little, leaving Friday. So we're just every every few weeks we try to find a place to go explore and to get to know. So, all right. Uh, before we get started this evening, let's open in a word of prayer. Loving Father, we do thank you for all your mercy and grace that you give us for the way that you're mindful of us and you provide for us. We thank you, Lord, for all that you do. We hope and pray, Lord, that we will be good stewards of what you give to us, especially now as we think about your word that you've given to us. We hope that we can study it correctly and that you'll open our hearts to what you're trying to say to us and that we'll understand the value of having your word readily available that we can look at and study any time. Bless this time we spend in your word, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're going to be at or about uh, Genesis chapter 41, and we'll kind of briefly bring up, got a, sorry, I keep getting too far from Pat, but is that good? So I'll briefly bring up where we were. So last week, Joseph, been in captivity, right, he's sold into slavery, falsely accused, ends up in prison, correctly interprets some dreams. And the people immediately rescue him. No, it's a couple more years that he's wrongly in prison. And then something happens. Pharaoh has these dreams. And that's where we were kind of leaving off last week. And we briefly touched on it. But what were the the dreams that Pharaoh had? Anybody remember the specific dreams he talked about? Fat cows and skinny cows. And I, I relate to the fat cows. I won't say why that is. But between the two, that seems to be what I'm more related to. Fat cows and skinny cows. He had a second dream. Anybody remember it? Yeah, the fat ears of corn and the thin ears of corn. And so you had these seven fat cows come up out of the Nile River. Seven skinny cows come up, eat them. He wakes up. He's disturbed. He goes back to bed. Seven fat ears of grain come up. Seven skinny ears come up, eat them, wakes up. Nobody can interpret the dream. And so we said when, when the cupbearer remembers, oh, there was this guy who interpreted dreams back in prison. So he remembers Joseph. They call Joseph out. And what's the first thing? We ended on this point last week. What's the first thing Joseph says when he says, can you interpret my dream? Yeah, aren't interpretations, don't they belong to God? Not, well, yes, I can interpret your dream. Of course I can interpret your dream. I've been given the... No, he says, interpretations belong to God. And then he goes on to say, God will tell us what they mean. So he clarifies to make sure there's no misunderstanding. Joseph's like, it's not me. If you're looking for me to do something, nope, everything I do is from God. And that's kind of where we left off. So as we open and we're thinking about the story, we're going to get into a few specifics. But let me ask this, this question. So... You already know it, but what do the seven fat cows and the seven fat ears represent? Seven years of abundance, the word I heard. Prosperity, very good answer. Seven years when things are going to go really well. And then, of course, the skinny cows and the skinny ears represent? Yes, seven years of famine. And according to what Joseph says, it's going to be a devastating famine like never before seen. And he makes it clear, God has shown you what he is about to do. Seven years of plenty, seven years of famine. 
And so Joseph gives some advice about storing up during the seven years of plenty. So as we think about this, why did God send Joseph to save Egypt from the famine? So I was a uh, college professor for years, and I'm used to students looking at their phones and Instagram, so I can, I can stand for a while. It's not going to matter to me if we're a little quiet. I sometimes would have to get pieces of candy and actually throw it into the, oh, I should do that. Piece of, Tracy, you'd like that if I was throwing candy out, wouldn't I? Um, so why did God raise up Joseph to save Egypt? Danny. Okay, the prediction of what he was going to create. Um, For I have chosen him that may command his children his household after him uh, to keep away from the Lord of righteousness. Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. Is that what you're getting at there? Yes. So what had he promised? So Danny's pointing to Genesis 18 and verse 19. Joseph's a descendant of Abraham. Okay. What had he promised Abraham? Right. Your children are going to be, I'll paraphrase, numerous, right? Too numerous to count. You're going to be blessed. I've got a land I'm going to give you. So God raises up Joseph to save Egypt. But think about this, and I want you to think about it for just a second, and this is something I've thought about often. Why didn't God just leave Joseph where he was and make them really rich and prosperous there? That is a good point. Other people, right? We do have to deal with other people's actions. Danny? Throughout Old Testament history, we have several examples where God preserved a remnant. Uh, and with, uh, with what was to come, uh, situating them uh, in, in a different place and time than they had originated was, uh, was uh, in keeping with preserving a remnant. Right, so God wanted to make sure there was a portion of them that are going to be preserved. Preserving a remnant is what Danny's talking about there. And especially with things that are going on in the world, right? A famine and or Joseph's brothers not acting the way they're supposed to. But couldn't he still have said, Joseph, I'm going to leave you right where you are. You're going to have 100 kids. Your offspring is going to have 100 kids. There's a gold mine on your property. Every animal you have is going to have five offspring and they're going to be healthy every year. Couldn't he have just messed them that way? Well, he used Pharaoh to display his power. Oh, his power. So the answer is he used Pharaoh to display his power. And I want to get at his, meaning God's power. So let me ask this this way. When you look at the Old Testament, do people tend to get closer to God or further away when they get riches? Oh, okay. So at some point, God wanted the children of Israel that he's going to preserve, right? That he's going to give what he promised them. He wanted the children of Israel to say, Ooh, I didn't do this. God did this. Right? So God knows, and I'm going to make a hard point for us tonight. God knows, and we're going to talk about this at length. Prosperity tends to make it harder to go to heaven. Okay? Prosperity tends to make it harder to be a Christian. In the Old Testament, God knew if I just pour, if I just 
bless them, bless them, bless them, they're probably going to forget about me. They're not going to know who gave. How many generations will it take before they won't even know the promise? Before they won't even know who gave it to them? Before they won't even know who blessed them? And before you answer that, let me remind you, they had been out of Egypt three days before they started complaining about God rescuing them. Three days, right? Thirty days into it, they had made a golden calf. So, why didn't God just leave them there? Because God wanted to deliver them. And not just deliver them, he wanted to deliver them from the most powerful nation on earth. See, by raising up Joseph, Egypt becomes the power of the world. We're told every other nation came to them to buy grain. Egypt had every, the Pharaoh owned every bit of land and money in the country, right? Because the people had to sell their land to get grain. They had to sell all their things. And he owned the land and the money from other nations. Egypt is now the most powerful nation in the world. And I'm about to deliver you from them. And you're not going to have to throw a stone. You're not going to have to pick up a sword. In fact, when I deliver you, they're going to make you rich because they're going to give you their gold and their silver. God wanted to make it clear. I'm going to deliver you. It is through God's hand that you are going to be delivered. God wants to deliver them, not for them to think they did it, right? And I guess the underlying, and we're going to talk about how the story of Joseph points to Jesus. The underlying theme is they needed to see the need for a Savior. Okay, so in today's society, in today's world, does a country tend to be more religious or less religious the more prosperous it gets? Right. Do individuals as a whole tend to be more religious or less religious the more prosperous they get? Less. And so why is that? Well, when I've got enough money to take care of myself and what I've accomplished, because see, I'm a doctor, not because of what anybody else did, but because I went to, I had to have a good GPA. You try to get into med school, and then you get into one of the most competitive residencies in the nation. Listen, people, if you knew what I've accomplished, you'd know why I am where I am. Really? But don't we get that way? Look at my job, my career, my success. As a whole, when we look at the Bible, the more somebody is blessed, and I'm going to use that in quotes, okay? Because we're going to talk about the definition of a blessing. The more somebody is blessed the harder it is for them to depend on God. Who did Jesus primarily minister to? Now, do we see rich people? A few. But who did he minister to? Who came to him first? The poor. Those who knew, it's, it's because of God that I'm even here. Right? I can barely buy my food for the day. I need to depend on somebody or something. Right? And so the Israelites couldn't get too comfortable where they were or else they'd never want to leave or change where they were and they'd want to just say hey look at what I've done look at what I've accomplished look at my herds look at my armies look at my flocks and before you say now is Stephen making this up Matthew chapter 19 what does Jesus tell us about a rich man getting to heaven 
Yeah. In fact, you can paraphrase it. It is impossible for a rich man to go to heaven. Now, it doesn't end there, but that's what Jesus says. If you don't believe me, go back and read 1923. There used to be this thing, so it's about the camel going through an eye of a needle. How many of you have heard that this is about a camel getting on its knees and crawling through the entrance of a... Have you heard that? I've heard that all my life. This is a misunderstanding. It is not a misunderstanding. It is not a metaphor of this camel trying to crawl under. Like an eye of a needle was an entrance to her. That's wrong. It is a camel that is seven feet tall trying to get through an eye of a needle that if I don't have my glasses on, I can't see anymore, right? I have to have my daughters thread the needle. It is impossible for a rich person to go to heaven. And God says, but with man it is impossible. With God, things are all things, with God, all things are possible. But be clear Rich people are not the easier ones to get into heaven. Rich people are not the most likely to go to heaven, okay? That is not to knock the rich. I'm just saying it is a warning to the rich. We have other warnings that appear, like in James. The rich have more responsibility. They have more put on them. Those that are blessed, more is expected of them. But it is hard because rich people oftentimes don't see their need to go somewhere better. I think, and I struggle with this, This is American Christianity, to be blunt about it. The only continents in the world where Christianity is not booming, North America and Europe, the two most prosperous continents by far. See, in Central America, South America, Asia, China, India, in in, um, Africa, the church is booming. It is not shrinking. We talk about the church is shrinking. No, worldwide it is growing rapidly. And so, I think the problems with American Christianity is, mm, it's not too bad being an American. So I don't really see the need to go somewhere else. I mean, do I really? You know the story about the preacher that like says, who wants to go to heaven? Raise your hand if you want to go to heaven. And everybody raises their hand but one person. He's like, you don't want to go to heaven? And they said, oh, I thought you meant tonight. Let me tell you, that's the American Christianity. Oh, yes, once I've lived my life, I'll be ready to go to heaven. Wow, what a sinful attitude, right? If you have a chance to go to heaven tonight, I'm telling you, I'm going to give you the inside advice. Take it. I'm not talking about suicide. I'm not talking about sinful things like that. I am talking about we have a choice between being in heaven or in America. Go to heaven. America is not heaven. Despite what we hear and we, t- we want to make right... The church wants to save America, baloney. I want to save souls, and I want to get as many people to heaven, whether they are from America, China, India. I don't care where they're from. America is not heaven, but we do that. Oh, so nice here. Why would I long for heaven when I can go to Nome, right? (laughs) Tracy, don't laugh. You know, why would I long for heaven when I've got a good retirement? I've got a great wife now. This is not to say I want to be away from my wife or my kids. The Apostle Paul makes it clear, though. Twice he talks about this. Anybody remember what Paul says? Says it to the Corinthians and the church at Philippi. He says, what's the better of the two, to stay here or to go to heaven? Yes, to live as Christ, to die as gain. And to the church in Philippi, he says, I want to be in heaven. That's the better of the two. But I'm staying here not because, oh, I like the church. 
not because I got a good life. Remember, he's in prison. The only reason he talks about staying on earth is because he says, the church needs me. The church at Philippi needs the Apostle Paul. Otherwise, he wanted to be in heaven with Jesus. I see a lot of American Christians who are really happy being American and really satisfied where they are, and there's really not a desire to go anywhere else. Until I'm 112, and I'm still, you know, no medical deformities at 112. I don't have glasses. I don't have, I'm walk. I'm, you know, I'm running a marathon, and boom, I die at 112 and go to heaven. That's the way I want life to be. Wrong. I want God, I want to be in heaven tonight. Again, please don't take that the wrong way. Love my family, love my kids. I'm not going to do anything to myself to make that happen. That's not what I'm talking about because I still, there's still work to be done. But if God takes me tonight to heaven, that is good. That is not bad. Or he takes me and then on the second coming. You know, would you be happy if Jesus came tonight or would you be upset that you missed what you're going to do this weekend? Think about that. But what, well, I, I was going to go halibut fishing. Really? And you say, oh, that's stupid. It's not. We do that all the time. We are happy with where we are. We're content with where we are. And we don't long for heaven. Don't we see that picture painted by several of the apostles? Longing for heaven. Longing to be with Jesus. Not longing to be with family. Not longing to go on vacation. Not longing for retirement. None of those things are bad. But God knew if he just blessed the Israelites and left them where they were, they're going to be really happy right where they were because look at what they accomplished. And he says, no, I want you to know you need something better. You need a Savior to deliver you from where you are to where I want you to be. That's what he's saying to them. James 4.16 talks about arrogance. You know, oh, I don't need God, right? 1 John 2.16 talks about the pride of life. Paul in Philippians 1 and 23 is where you can go, 20 through 25, and he talks about longing to be in heaven, and it is the better choice. He makes it very clear. It's the better choice is to be in heaven. So I'll ask a question for you to contemplate. We won't try to answer it. Now, please, some of you are going to say, he really bashes America, or he really bashes being blessed. No, 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 no. But ask yourself this question. If Israel is better off because Joseph goes into slavery and he goes into prison and Israel is better off because there's a famine and then Israel's better off because they go into slavery, were those things a blessing or a hardship or a curse? They got to see the promised land. Well, until they messed up and then the next generation did. They got to be rescued. They got to be saved by God. They got to be God's chosen people. So, we hear about the blessing of being, you know, Lord, we thank you for being here in America where we are free to worship. Is it a blessing? Maybe, maybe not. Oh, Stephen, you're be- oh, that's terrible for you to say. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm asking very simply, is the church growing when we're free to worship? When did the church, other than the day of Pentecost, grow faster than any other time in history? AD 70, persecution to AD 100, the church, the more you killed, the more it grew. Look at it, World War II, it grew. 9-11, didn't we see a resurgence? Well, wait a minute. 
that doesn't make sense because we talked about being blessed with freedom. We talked about being blessed with a good job. We talked about being blessed with money. And I said it, and I will say it over and over. We need to redefine what we call blessings. We give credit to God for everything that is good in our lives, and that may be when we get a bad diagnosis. Because I want to remind you, did God use the famine, allow the famine, or cause the famine? He caused it, not used it, not allowed it. Joseph says, this is what God is going to do. He is telling you what he is going to do. God's going to allow thousands of people to die. He's going to allow millions of people to suffer. Wait a minute, that doesn't make sense. That's not a blessing, really. His chosen people come out of it. They get the promised land. The Passover feast comes out of it. And this leads to Jesus. I'd say that's a pretty good blessing. But it goes against our way of thinking. Now, this is not a, oh, no, give away everything. You need to suffer and be a Christian. No, I just want us to rethink what we consider a blessing. I want us to rethink whether having that extra money or that extra raise is a good thing or a bad thing in our lives. I've said all along, the number one thing I think that is going to keep modern-day people out of heaven is worldliness. It is not LGBTQT, and it's not addiction. Okay, might be politics because we make it our religion, but it's worldliness. It is people that like being in this world. It's about my career. It's about my kids' sports. It's about my education. It's about fishing or outdoors, or it's about vacations or retirement. It's about my job. That is worldliness. It's not, worldliness is just not getting extra money. It is liking this world more than we like where we are headed. All right? Where do our energies go? Into this world or where we are headed? That's what worldliness is. And I think it is the number one thing. And I've said all along, if Satan thinks giving you more money is going to keep you out of heaven, don't go buy a lottery ticket because you're going to win. Satan will give you the better job. He will give you the more money. He will give you the better opportunity if he thinks that's going to keep you out of heaven. That doesn't make it a blessing. Not saying it's bad. Money is neither good nor bad. But how we act, react, and how we view it. Jobs are neither good nor bad. They are necessary. The Apostle Paul had a job to fund his ministry. Right? They are necessary. Rest and vacations. Jesus went off by himself to rest. He was tired. I need to go off by myself. Hey, you've been that way before, haven't you? Mm, these 12 a year are on my last nerve. I mean, that's what he paraphrases there a couple of times, right? All of those things are necessary. But those things may or may not be a blessing if we don't view them the right way. Who's the richest man to ever live? Solomon. Was he rich? Yeah. Did he stay with God? No. (laughs) Who was the first person chosen to be king of Israel? What a blessing, right? Did Saul stay with God? No. He was rejected by God because of him rejecting God. They became arrogant. They didn't see the need for God And lo and behold, when we lose the need for God, we walk away from God. God had a plan, and it involved sending a deliverer. Joseph was the first one. Moses is going to be a deliverer, right? The prophets. And ultimately, it is leading up to our deliverer, and that's Jesus. If the famine doesn't occur... God would have had to find a different way to bring Jesus. This is part, the famine leads to Jesus. 
The famine is a blessing. Thousands of people died as a blessing. Millions of people suffered as a blessing because it led to Jesus. Think about that. It led to Jesus. All right. So, again, God, Joseph gives God the credit in chapter 40 at the end and then again at forty in chapter 41. So Joseph recognized where his power came from and where his favor came from. And I think that's a big part of whether something is a blessing or not, is if we immediately give credit to God or we forget about that. Anybody remember Acts chapter 12 and King Herod? That's a pretty gross story. Remember what happens when King Herod's compared to God? Did he give credit to God right away? No, and I think some animals ate part of his body when he died immediately and hit the ground, right? Joseph gives credit to God. Herod didn't. James 1 says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. And I just want to make sure we categorize what we think is a good and perfect gift. If it's from God, it's good and perfect. It doesn't mean that the better job is or is not. It doesn't mean that the money is or is not. I can tell you lots of times in my life where I was not closer to God because I was doing well, I was closer to God because I was on my knees in prayer. Right? I was not closer to God because I got the new job, the better job. I was closer to God because I was trying to overcome a tr- hardship in my life or a struggle in my life or a challenge in the life of someone I loved. That's when I've been closest to God. And I would say those are blessings. Is it a blessing that my mom has multiple myeloma? Yeah. I, I've got a brother who's a Christian now because of that. That's a blessing. And, and I'm not talking about a 14-year-old brother. I'm talking about a almost 40-year-old brother, right? So it was a life-changing event. And my mom will tell you she would take multiple myeloma if it means another one of her children is going to heaven any day of the week and twice on Sunday, right? She would do it. So, again, did God cause the famine? Yes. Did God cause COVID? I don't know. He might have. Did he allow COVID or did he use COVID? I know he's using it, but he might have caused it. Did God raise up Obama, Trump, Biden, Putin, Saddam Hussein? Possibly. Oh, there's no way. You pick your R. I don't know if you have an R after your name or D after your name. Well, he don't care. I think all of it's stupid, but that's a separate discussion because Jesus would have neither in case you're wondering. But whether you have an R after your name or D after your name, doesn't matter whether you like this president or hate this president or like the previous president or hate the pre- previous president or like me, think they're both idiots, but it doesn't matter, right? God can use them, and he may have put exactly who he wanted exactly where he wanted. That's why I pray for the president, not because I think they're a good person or a bad person, because one, I'm commanded to, and number two is I want God to use that president whether I like them or not. Have you prayed for Putin? I have. I don't do it as much as I should. But shouldn't we? Shouldn't we pray for our enemies? Doesn't he have a big impact on what my kid's world is going to be like? So don't I want God to use him? Don't I want God to use President Xi of China? They're our enemy. You're right. I agree. But don't I want God to use them in the best way possible so that my kids can have whatever opportunity it is to serve, whether that is to take over America or they collapse and we take over them. It doesn't matter. I just want God to be able to use that. So I pray for them. Did God raise them up? Maybe. Did he use people's mistakes, right? People make mistakes. They vote for the wrong people. They do the wrong thing. Maybe. But either way, I want God to use them. So lesson we mentioned last week, and this is the take-home lesson. God can use anyone or anything to accomplish his goals. 
And he may cause anything that you see in this world other than sin to bring about his will. God will not cause sin. But he can cause things that we might view as bad, including death and famines and sickness. But it's going to bring about his will. Our job is not to figure out why. Our job is not to figure out whether he caused it or used it. You know what our job is? I have it right here. Our job is to be faithful to God. That's the lesson. Whether God caused COVID, allowed COVID, used COVID, whether he brings about a famine, raises up a ruler, defeats a ruler, brings up a... It doesn't matter. You know what my job is? To figure out God's... Nope. My job is to be faithful to God. That's my job. Joseph, as a slave, faithful to God. Joseph in prison, faithful to God. Joseph is vice pharaoh, second most powerful man in the world, faithful to God. My job is not to figure out why. My job is to do. And that's to be faithful to God. All right. Any questions about that? Any comments? I know I talked way too long. One more thing I'll I'll comment on while you're thinking. And again, feel free to disagree with me. Feel free to uh, discuss it, whatever I would love to. Um, I've seen repeatedly on social media a verse that was applied that, that God said to Israel in Second Chronicles. Um, tell me, I heard that, I saw this a lot during COVID. People who thought maybe God was punishing, and that is possible. COVID might have been a punishment, right? That is very possible. Second um, Chronicles seven four. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and then turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal the land. How many of you have heard that or saw that posted about COVID? And if America will turn back to God, he will heal this land. I want to make it very clear that was not written to America and has no bearing on America. America is not God's chosen people. America is not God's flagship. Christians are God's chosen people. Israel was chosen by God and set apart. They were holy. They were separate. They were chosen by God. God says that to Israel. Okay? So my job is not to restore America as a Christian nation. My job is to bring people to Christ. And there's a difference. Tracy? All of our brothers and sisters are all over the world. Yes. And so we want to pray for those leaders, not only for, them, for their sakes, and also we've got to be careful how much we want America to prosper because America prospering usually means something bad for something, somebody for another nation, which has our brothers and sisters. <laughs> So it's all just the nation part where we our, our, our mm-hmm. geographical region is just very unimportant and doesn't mean we can't be grateful that we're safe. Correct. So I'm not saying that. Yeah, Tra- Tracy makes a good point, and it's a hard it's a hard one to walk because I'm in the same boat. Um, we, we aren't saying I'm not a I'm not ashamed to be an American. I'm not. I work for the Department of Defense. I'm on the military. I mean, come on. I'm not. I'm very proud of where God put me. And I feel blessed because of it. That may not be the case, but I feel blessed because of where God put me. But my prayer is not to restore America. That's what Tracy's saying. We have Christians all over the world. And again, the flagship churches of the future are not going to come from America. America is not, is not as a nation promoting Christianity. And it's never going to. The idea that we're going to somehow become a Christian nation, America was never a Christian nation. I'm sorry to burst your bubble. It wasn't. 
was never founded as a Christian nation. It wasn't intended to be. Israel was God's chosen people. No comparison to America. Okay? My prayer is not to restore America. My prayer is to grow the kingdom. Wherever you are, it doesn't matter if you're in America. I, ho- I, I hope 100% of Americans become Christians. That would be great. James, would you be happy if 360 million Christians lived in America? Yes, it would be great, wouldn't it? But not so we could 360 million Christians live in America. is so then we could go to 226 other nations, right? And not teach them to be Americans. Teach them to be Christians. But I, I, I've heard a sermon, and I, I've thought about putting one together. It's about the sin of Christian nationalism. Um, and I think, again, this is an American issue. This is not an issue outside of America, really. It's an American issue. You know, I stand for the pledge, kneel for the cross, and... No, let me see. I, I stand, yeah, stand for the pledge, salute the flag, and kneel for the cross. Don't ever say that, people. Because those three are not in the same category. I don't care what you do for the pledge or the flag. As an American, I like America, and I hope you respect it. But I care what you do for the cross. That's what I care about. And the fact that the flag or the pledge are equated with Jesus is sinful. Is sinful. Now, oh, Stephen, you're not thankful for those people that gave their lives for that flag. I am. I'd I'd be willing to serve and sacrifice myself. I would. I'm fat and old. They don't recruit people my age, but I would be glad to. Okay? But it is not the same as being a Christian. God's chosen people are Christians, not Americans. Those prophecies in the Old Testament about nations has nothing to do with America. They are not promised to America. They are not promised to any other nation other than Israel. And let me remind you that God abandoned Israel because as he prospered them, what happened? They abandoned him. Right? Now, it wasn't because God's plan didn't work, because God's plan was not to save Israel. It was to set Israel apart so that a Savior could come from Israel. Right? That's the purpose of God's plan. God didn't mess up. He didn't say, well, I'm going to save the world through Israel. Oh, that didn't work. I'm going to have to send my son. That's not what happened. This wasn't plan B. Plan A was always Jesus. But in order for plan A to work, we needed to see our need for a Savior. In order for us to see our need for a Savior, there needed to be a law, and that law needed to come through God's chosen people because we needed to see that law point to our sins. Those sins point to need for a Savior. The Savior is Jesus, and that's what gets us to heaven. That was plan A all along. Not plan B, not whoops, we messed up. Once sin entered the world, Jesus was coming. Period. Jesus was planned before that sin entered the world. It was not plan B or C. It was always plan A. God wants us to see the need for a Savior, just like he wanted Israel to see the need for a deliverer. They needed a Savior. And it was not going to be because they were powerful where they were. You were going to be delivered from the most powerful kingdom in the world. They're going to make you rich. They're going to beg you to leave, and you will never raise a hand against them. And you will know, without a doubt, the power, as Tracy put it, came from God. All right, that is two weeks in a row I've gotten on my soapbox. Danny, you need to remind me next week, stay off the soapbox. I'm just kidding. All right, so uh, Joseph, raised up, Joseph raised up as a prince. He is 30 years old, 
think about that. 30 years old, and he becomes, I use the term vice pharaoh. That is not a scriptural term. That's a term I think we would understand, right? It is not vice president. It is far more powerful. Joseph could put someone to death by saying, go kill them, and they would kill him. Joseph has the wealth of the world at his disposal. Everything but the Pharaoh's throne is his. He is really powerful. Second most powerful man in the world. He's 30. At 30, I was trying to figure out how to pay off school debt. Right? I mean, I was trying to figure out where I was going to move. This guy at age 30 is the second most powerful man in the world. And he has a pretty good plan. For seven years, we're going to take 20% of everything that's harvested throughout the nation. We're going to store it up in certain cities. And then when those seven bad years come, we're going to start selling that saved up grain. They sell it to the Egyptians. And it says that after the Egyptians run out of money, they start giving their land to Pharaoh. They sell it to other nations. And lo and behold, a group comes from a land far away. And it's Joseph's brothers. Right? Joseph's brothers show up to buy grain. So again, Joseph sold into slavery. He gets wrongly accused. He ends up in prison. He gets forgotten about by the person he saved. Now he's vice pharaoh. Okay? As vice pharaoh, Joseph says God's going to do seven years of good, seven years of famine. Did Joseph trust God? Did he have faith in God? Did he believe what God was going to do, what he said he was going to do? So why didn't Joseph just sit back and say, Hey, in seven years, God is going to take care of us. I mean, don't we sometimes do, Oh, I believe in God. So God, you know, bless my life. Let the church here grow. Right? God, bring us, next week, bring us 40 new Christians walking in the door so that we can be a bigger church, right? Joseph trusted in God, but trusting in God did not take away the need for Joseph's actions. Boy, that's a lesson for us, isn't it? I think there's a verse in the Bible, right? James chapter 2, about faith alone. It's pretty much a dead faith. If Joseph says, I trust God, I believe what God's saying, and so now I'm going to sit here and wait for it to happen, and Joseph's going to die like everybody else. That famine's going to devastate Egypt, and his brothers aren't going to have a place to come buy grain. Even though Joseph believed God, there was still an action, a step he has to take. God may send an answer to our issues, our prayers, our problems, in the form of other people, in the form of opportunities, in the form of abilities, in the form of talents. I've known people, and you may have known particularly uh, someone like Christian scientists, I'm not knocking anyone's belief, but that said, we believe that all you need to do is pray to God and he'll take care of you, right? We don't need doctors and nurses. And my response is, when you pray to God, perhaps his answer is the surgeon who's going to take out the cancer, right? Tony used the example a few weeks ago, and I'm sure you've heard it, the floods are rising, the guy's on top of his house says, God save me, God save me, Right? Somebody comes by in a kayak, oh, you need it. No, God's going to save me. Somebody comes by in a powerboat, you need it. Oh, no, God's going to save me. Somebody comes by in a helicopter, you, no, God's going to save me. He dies. He get, God, I asked you to save me. He said, I said, a kayak and a boat and a helicopter, and you didn't, you didn't do it. Well, Joseph's that way. I can believe it, but if I don't act, I'm still going to die. If I don't act, I'm not going to be saved. 
James 2 says, faith without works is dead. We must have an active faith. In academics, we call that Bloom's Taxonomy. I teach you something, the first step is you remember it. We call that knowledge, right? You remember what I taught you. That's great. If that's all I do, that's first, second, third grade stuff, right? Memorize your uh, two plus two is four, that sort of thing. Second step might be something like understanding. So now I've memorized it and I understand, oh, two plus two more. Okay, that makes sense now. That's four, right? And then we get into higher levels that involve things like analysis of it. Okay, that's two. So then if I do this and this, that three and three is six. Okay, that makes sense. And then you have application. So that means I can take two oranges and two more oranges, and I understand what it means. And then you have synthesis. So I can now learn more things because I understand the idea of addition. I can teach other people about addition. Right? That's the way it is with our faith. At some point, we believe there's a God absolutely necessary 100 percent and that puts us on par with the demons right that's what james tells us your faith is now equal to the demons some point we go beyond there is a god to there is a god he is alive he sent his son he is acting he has a plan that plan means i need to be baptized i need to follow his son i need to obey his word his word is that's the progression we make yes We have to take part in our own salvation. Now, God saves us. I do not earn my salvation. It is a free gift from God. But I gotta I gotta get that gift. Right? Hey, I'm gonna give you if I tell you I'm gonna give you a hundred dollars free, it's out on the table, and you leave you get up and you walk out and say, He gave me a hundred dollars. Yeah, you don't got that hundred dollars. It's still over there. It's free, you didn't do anything to earn it, but you needed to go pick it up, right? So we have a free gift. Joseph says, God's going to do this, so let's sit back and watch him do it. Nope. I need to plan. I need to prepare. I need to get ready. Jesus talks about it in Matthew, and he says, who's going to build a house and not plan? Right? Count the cost. Plan, prepare, get ready. Do I have enough stuff? Now, we have to be careful that we don't pull a Sarah and Hagar. Right? Okay, God's going to make us a great nation, so I'm going to get ahead of them. Right? With Abram. And I'm going to send my handmaid in there. Yeah, so there's a balance there between getting ahead of God, but not sitting back and going, okay, God, let's grow this church. Why aren't there 20 people coming through the door, God? Right? He still expects us to do some action. He still expects us to be active. And Joseph took that knowledge and put it into action. And that is what led to Jesus. Now, there's some steps along the way, but the Israelites ending up in Egypt, being delivered by Moses, becoming the nation they are, rejecting prophets, Jesus. Famine, Joseph acted. That's the pathway we get to Jesus. So my faith requires action. All right, I got through two out of seven points. That's a pretty productive week, isn't it? Thanks, everybody. I appreciate it. Uh, Remember, the kids will not be coming in. They have the uh, VBS, so we'll be able to start the Devo uh, before they get back in. Thanks, everybody.